This week on Paladin Financial Talk, we're going to continue with part two of our episode about getting an estate plan in place. This is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley from Paladin Financial. Basically, the more accounts you have, the more opportunities there are for mistakes. So taking control of your assets may help you to avoid some of those common mistakes that investors make. When a part of your financial strategy is out of tune, your long-term goals, your retirement savings, and your legacy can all suffer. Listen in as we address your financial concerns and provide helpful solutions to put you on the path to achieving your retirement goals, your money and your plans in perfect harmony. And now here is Paladin Financial Talk with Jeff Foley. Welcome, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is Jeff Foley with Paladin Financial. You're listening to Paladin Financial Talk, and we appreciate you taking some time to join us here today. We've got a great show. We've got a continuation of our last episode where we talked about getting an estate plan in place. And we have with us a special guest, Mr. Matt McClenahan from Orchard Law. And he shared his insights about estate planning and some of the things that people struggle with and getting a good estate plan in place. So we're very excited to have Matt back on the show here today. Hello, Matt. Hi, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Yes, yes, absolutely. Thanks for taking time out of your your busy schedule. I know you're you're packed, so we really appreciate that. I will talk faster than normal. So <laughs> that's been, not necessary. <laughs> but thanks for having me, and thanks for making the time for me too. Absolutely, absolutely. So, kind of a quick recap of what we talked about last week, folks. If you didn't listen to the first episode of getting an estate plan in place, we talked a little bit about Matt's background as an estate planning attorney and why he became an estate planning attorney, and it was kind of a, a good news situation. Um, and But I think that's important because a, a lot of people have some good experiences and not so good experiences when it comes to estate planning. And uh, it's interesting to hear Matt's background and what prompted him to do what he does today in helping folks out. We also talked about kind of the elephant in the room where a lot of people don't get an estate plan in place or they kind of do it, but not, not quite right. Uh, they don't want to put a lot of thought and effort into it. It's one of those things that people typically procrastinate. So we talked about why that is and some things that we can do to get over the hump, if you will, and moving forward and putting an estate plan in place. We also talked about what happens if you don't have your own estate plan. So you basically have one. It's whether or not you're on the government's plan or yours. And uh, so Matt talked a little bit about that, some things to be aware of for your family and what might happen if you, you don't have these things organized. And a little bit about the emotion that comes along with estate planning and what we can do to remove the emotion out of the process. And finally, we talked about next steps. So for people to move forward from from there, if they make a decision, you know what, I want to get my estate plan in place and get things in order and have that peace of mind that goes along with doing that, what do they actually do? And I think the, the simplest thing I would say would be to give Matt a call at Orchard Law and Matt, if you don't mind uh, sharing how folks can get a hold of you, but we encourage folks to, to reach out and get your estate plan in place. Or if you have one and it's outdated, you know, 15, 20 years ago or uh, a marriage ago or whatever it might be, make sure that's update and updated and relevant. But yeah, Matt, how can folks get a hold of you? Sure. Well, thanks for asking, Jeff. I, I promise you, listener, I did not ask him to say that. Um, the, uh, the best way to get a hold of us would be our main uh, direct telephone line to our office, and that is um, 612-293-3840. Uh, tell, 
um, Allie uh, or Maggie will probably be the ones who would answer that phone. Make sure you uh, mention where you heard about us and um, let us know what you're interested in learning more about. So that would be the best way is that phone number. I can also be reached via email at matt at orchard.law, M-A-T-T at O-R-C-H-A-R-D dot L-A-W. Perfect. Very good. Thank you very much. And uh, yeah, just before we get into some of the topics we'll discuss here today, one of the things that we talk to folks a lot about and our clients and our, our planning process is, uh, I'm going to call this, I just came up with the name for this on, on the spot here, the Paladin Financial Pie. And you picture a pie and you split that into thirds. You have your financial plan, you have your estate plan, and you have your taxes. We want to make sure that all three pieces are working together, that they're not pulling in different directions. So with what we do at Paladin Financial, we're focused on the financial planning aspect, a portion of which is your investments and it's pre-tax and Roth and I need income and so forth. But we also want to be aware of and make sure we're embracing and coordinating with the other pieces of those pie. So your estate plan and, and working with Matt and his team and, and making sure that all the hard work you've put together in your life to have a good estate plan in place is not unraveled with how you designate your beneficiaries and some other things with the investments uh, in the financial side of it. And then finally, the taxes as well, that all has an implication as well to make sure you're trying to minimize your taxes as much as possible. So think of that pie, all three of those pieces are equally important. Um, But our first topic, the question for you here, Matt, today is, Can you talk a little bit about some of the most common estate planning documents? There's a lot of people are often confused. What is this one? And I heard this and I, do I need a trust? Do I not need a trust? Which we'll come back to and talk about that, but explain a little bit more about some of the the basics of the estate planning documents. Sure. So there's a lot of, uh, terminology and, and it's easy to get burdened with the terminology, Jeff, as you know, whether it's wills, trusts, revocable trusts, irrevocable trusts, islets, grats, idgets, um, I could go on and on, <laughs> transfer on death, death deeds, powers of attorney, um, healthcare directives, living wills. Um, I usually tell my clients, let's just leave that out of the discussion because it makes it sound way more complicated than it actually is. What we're really trying to, to tackle, what we're really trying to accomplish is really can it's much more straightforward honestly and we're just trying to discuss um, who will be authorized to act usually without the court with respect to finances whether it be during your lifetime because you've suffered a stroke and you're incapacitated or after your death we're um, trying to tackle another issue and that's who will be authorized to act for healthcare decisions those can be, uh, you know, certainly the, the famous ones are pull the plug decisions uh, or do not resuscitate orders. But, you know, it can also just be as simple as where is care going to be received and, and when does a person um, come home for hospice and who has the authority to make those decisions. Okay. So uh, who's going to be authorized, usually without court, we're always trying to avoid having to apply to a court for these powers. Um for finances, both during lifetime and after death, for healthcare decision-making, and then finally for just discussions, routine discussions with doctors and nurses. 
and that usually should be a, a host of people, so not just a decision maker, but the broader family, even grandkids sometimes should be able to visit and communicate with, with the health team. So that's what we're trying to accomplish, and there's all these different documents uh, that can get that done depending on kind of what the thrust of the design is. And those are the who decisions. And then the other thing that we tackle is kind of the what, when, and how of, of uh, property and inheritance transferring. Okay. And I, I heard idget in there. That's something my, my, uh, my brother called me growing up. So I, that's an interesting <laughs> one. I don't hear. <laughs> um, I, I'm happy to do an idget for you, Jeff, just so you can show them that, that you've, you've built one. I have one and I am one. Very good. <laughs> So what you said, there's the who, so who, who is empowered to help make different decisions, whether you're here or you're not, is that a, a fair summation? Yeah, that's right. Okay. Very good. And, and I mean, the burden of terminology is let's, let's just talk about this. Um, you know, after death in terms of finances, sometimes that could be a personal representative, an executor. Um, a successor trustee before life, it's either a successor trustee or a power of attorney. I don't think it's worthwhile for people to get, um, to feel like they're buried in this terminology when really you can just kind of look at a spectrum on your life and we're over here on the right actually creating the powers and the documents and then maybe there's a line that represents incapacity and on the other side of its death, the top is just finances. Who are the decision makers? The bottom's healthcare. Who can participate there? And that's really as simple as it is. And I'll mm -hmm. figure out which documents are the right ones to, to effectuate these. So in other words, don't start with what do I need? Start with the, the who, and that will flow into what tool or tools are appropriate based on what you're trying to do. Is that a fair it, statement? Exactly. It's like walking into a doctor's office and trying to order up an x-ray and 200 cc's of X, <laughs> Y, and Z. It's not the right way to approach it. You instead go in there and tell them what hurts. And I'd, I'd prefer that, you know, people come into my office and just tell me what their concerns are mm -hmm. or, or their goals. Okay. And one of the, the most, uh, it commonly, a lot of common questions we, we get in, in working with folks is about trusts and what are they and how do they work? And they're often, you know, um, they're a, a maligned tool sometimes or and often sometimes a misused tool. But w what are some situations where you might recommend a trust to someone instead of a, a will other than, uh, you know, maybe probate avoidance and privacy? Or maybe you could talk about that as well. But when would you use one versus the other? Sure, sure. So definitely probate avoidance and privacy are the two most common goals. Uh, when somebody does a revocable trust, that's usually what they're, they're trying to accomplish. So they come in, I say, what are your concerns? And they'll say, court, I want to keep my family out of court. I want to avoid that whole process. Um, so those are the main ones. But other, other indicators, you know, I, I try to kind of bird dog these issues. Um, and other indications that somebody may need a trust or want a trust would be situations where we have a, minimal, a Minnesota taxable estate. So right now, at least in 2020, that would be an estate where the combined assets, including life insurance death benefit, of a couple are around or in excess of 
$3 million. Um, that would be an indication that that family would benefit from a trust. Um, another example or, or type of circumstance where trust would be indicated would be with blended families, um, children from uh, who are not of the current marriage. So um, either, you know, the Brady Bunch situation or maybe where there's just one child who uh, was born before uh, the couple's current marriage. That would be another uh, situation. Individuals with uh, another circumstances is sometimes I have, actually I have a lot of clients where um, they're single with no children. And um, those are circumstances where sometimes if there's not an obvious choice for uh, who could handle finances for them during incapacity and administer or wind down affairs immediately after death, if there aren't obvious choices, then they may want to do a trust because we can solve those uh, in a more sure way uh, using a trust. So those would be just the, the three easiest ones that come to mind. I'll throw one else in there, uh, another one, and that is um, sometimes families come to me with what I call probate baggage or there's, hmm. there's a little bit of bad blood that surrounded a probate. Yep. Um, in the past, or they've been through it for a parent or some family member, like an aunt or an uncle, and they really despised what they had to go through, and they want to make sure that they're not leaving that to somebody else. So those are the four easiest ones that come to mind. Okay. Very good. And, you know, with trust, another thing that people sometimes have concerns about is the cost of trust and you know, gosh, why don't I just pay far less money to, to have a will done instead of more money to have a trust done? What are your thoughts on that? Sure. Yeah. And I don't discount that at all. Uh, I think, you know, if you're price shopping, you're, you probably wouldn't do a trust. If, if price is the, mm -hmm. one of the major things you're focused on, you've got a lot of things to accomplish you know, like maybe trust for your minor uh, children, or you want to make sure that X, Y, and Z occur. Um, if, if price is still paramount to you and you're doing a lot of looking around trying to find the low bidder, I guess, so to speak, mm -hmm. um, then you can get a lot more accomplished with a will than you think. And, um, you know, for people who choose to do trust, it's despite the fact that they're more expensive right now. I mean, what's packaged in there is that if you value the cost of doing a probate in the future, if you value um, the cost or value the time of the people that you might put in charge to administer your affairs if you're incapacitated or deceased, um, if you value not having to file public inventories of your assets at your death, and final accountings of creditors that get paid. You know, if you value all of those things and it comes out greater than the difference in cost between a will and a trust, then you're probably, you know, leaning towards a trust and right. that additional expense is appropriate to you because it's, it's a lot smaller than, you know, the cost of doing all of that. Yeah. There's, there are a lot of uh, intangible benefits that come from having a trust and, as far as making it easier for family to execute your wishes. Is that a fair statement? Yeah, generally. Yeah. I think, you know, I sometimes, I will sometimes have a client who will come to me and um, 
they'll say that they want to avoid probate, and it's important that their state avoid probate, um, but I can look at the mix of their beneficiaries and their property and their accounts and say, look, we can do this. We can avoid probate, but we're going to be able to do I'm not going to recommend a trust to you, and here's why. Um, so there are circumstances where we do that. I do not think that a trust is the everybody plan, mm-hmm. uh, but it's definitely the right plan for a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, but we should start at a will, generally. Yeah. Is every, every Minnesotan who's an adult should have a will, a power of attorney, a health care directive, um, a HIPAA authorization, and some plan or authorization for digital accounts. Mm-hmm. That's my feeling. That's good. You know, and we see, you know, parallel to this in, in the financial services industry is some folks that come in, if, if the conversation is heavily drawn around what's the cost of us working with you, they're in many situations, not the best fit They're They should be calling 800 Fidelity, 800 Vanguard and, and handling it themselves. Um, and they might not see value in what a professional financial advisor does. And so I think it's a lot of similarity there. And that's neither right or wrong. Uh, I give the example to folks is that my, my brother and my dad, they have tools. I have tools. If their lawnmower breaks, they're probably going to fix the lawnmower. If my lawnmower breaks, I'm going to cry and call someone, someone else <laughs> because it'll take me four times as long to fix it if I can. So uh, to each his own. So no, that's good. And, you know, after all the work is done to put the estate plan in place, whatever that looks like, what kind of happens after that or what should happen after all that work's been done? I'm glad you asked that question because what's missing so often is a relationship with that planner. Um, This is not uh, a means or a route to somehow come up with little things to to bill clients for long-term. In fact, I've never charged for it, um, although I'll be a nonprofit at some point if I, if I don't start doing that. But it's, uh, you gotta have check-ins. And um, with our clients, we're available for questions. We encourage questions. You buy like a new house and you wanna see what you should be doing as far as ensuring that ownership uh, is coordinated with your estate plan or beneficiary instructions on other accounts. Um, so one is make sure that that line of communication is open to your attorney. Doesn't mean free. They usually uh, have to figure out a way to to be compensated for their time and advice, but it does mean they're available. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, they can help with that. Number two, there should be a routine or regular check-in. And for us, if we haven't, we've got a program that tracks when our last review was with each client. And if we haven't had one of those or an occasion for them within three years, you get a letter from us and it says what's new under the law or the tax code that might affect your estate plan, what certain things might change in a family or among the assets that could uh, require some investigation to ensure it's still coordinated with your estate plan. And um, so we generally send that out at, the, uh, at year three, invite a review. If we don't get one in year three, we'll send another one in year four, um, and, I would, and another one in year five. And I would encourage that with everybody, that if, if something hasn't been reviewed within five years, um, a lot of people will come to me with prior plans from other people and say, yeah, I did a will, but it's outdated. I'm sure it wouldn't apply or they wouldn't use it. And that's just not true. An outdated plan is actually worse than having no plan. 
if there were certain determinations or things that you executed in it um, that would make it harder to administer the estate or inappropriate in some of its choices and, and distribution decisions. That's, that's a good point. Uh, um, stating that again as having an outdated plan, for example, an outdated will is worse than not having a will. Because if you didn't have a will, at least the probate court would follow, here's who you're married to and some semblance of order. Is that is that what you're referring to? Yeah, like mm-hmm. I've got a, uh, had a probate um, not too long ago where we we had um, we actually were had to probate and probates are are public proceedings, but I'll try not to give uh, too much detail anyway. Um, but we had to probate the decedent's will, which was executed with his ex-wife, mm-hmm. and you know that's something that even the ex ex spouse did not want that to be in some way governing the administration. Now there are statutes that are designed to kind of undo. Uh, certain things where there's been a, a divorce, but you know you can see how it might actually be more complicated in probating that 30-year-old will than it would have been um, to deal with this. If, if certainly a, a recent updated will would have been better, but even mm-hmm. having put having revoked that prior will would have been a better circumstance. Okay, and now we're yeah. dealing with it now. That makes sense. Okay. And another one we get a lot of questions about is in the, the transfer on death deeds. And can you explain what that is and how is that handled in, in Minnesota? Why should people be aware of that? Sure. Yeah. So um, in some ways they're terrific, right? This is something that our, my section, the probate and trust law section of the Minnesota bar um, pushed for. And uh, I believe we actually drafted Uh, the first run on that statute based on what we're looking for. Um, But in an ideal circumstance, this is the example of what I might propose to the client who says that she wants to avoid probate and everything lines up perfectly. So maybe this particular client is 87 years old, wants to leave everything to her younger sister. Um, Younger sister's healthy, capable, and not looking at something like medical assistance to pay for long-term care. Um, There's only real estate and maybe a bank account and one investment account. And that's where I would say, you know, obviously a trust would accomplish uh, probate avoidance under these circumstances. But, um, you know, Jane, I really think that we can handle this without having to do a trust. And the, the, um, one of the key documents that we could do as part of that would be a transfer on death deed. Um, to the younger sister. So she would hold title to the house until death and at death certain filings had already been recorded by her with the county and uh, by filing an um, affidavit of identity and survivorship, a death certificate and a uh, particular waiver relating to medical assistance, um, we could get title transferred to uh, that younger sister. So. Um, they can be very good. There are a lot of circumstances where they're used where they probably aren't the right tool or the right fix. And I'll give you an example. Uh, let's say that Jane um, is wanting to avoid probate and she is going to use this. And this is obviously you can trigger probate. You could do this and still trigger probate with in any one of a hundred different ways. Just any other account can trigger probate, for instance. 
Um, but let's say that she says, okay, here's my circumstance. I have four kids, uh, two of which don't live in uh, the Minnesota or even the Midwest. Um, there's um, three of them are married and one of them is going through a divorce. And she does a transfer on death deed. Well, she passes away, we can get title transferred um, to those four kids, but in order for those four kids to sell the house, we need to look at a lot of things, like is, is there money that's gonna be required to get it into shape for to try to maximize the sale price, and where's that gonna come from? Um, hiring a broker, when are, which offer are they gonna sell, and when they close, ultimately, um, everybody's going to have to sign off on this, including the spouses of the owners here. And that's, you know, that would be a circumstance where I would have rather had that go through probate or ideally um, be handled by a trustee. So just one of the kids maybe as trustee handling, handling all that instead of having to go through that kind of fiasco. So they're both great. And then they're sometimes used in the wrong circumstances, Jeff. Mm-hmm. So if, a, let's say, a married couple, they've got a couple kids, at what point would that transfer on death deed need to be set up? Is that not until the first spouse passes or while both are living? Um, a, so if it's appropriate for that circumstance for them, um, then it, would, it could either be completed when they're both alive, and then you can actually check uh, or... or yeah, it's a check-the-box type situation regarding whether the transfer is effectuated at the death of the first spouse or um, only after the death of the second joint owner. Um, okay. But do get legal advice both on whether it's appropriate for you and then don't screw up the title by doing this yourself. Yeah, okay, okay. Very good. Um, and I know there's, uh, you know, a lot of things that have occurred here recently with the election and still some dust being settled on what might happen with estate planning changes and taxes that relate to that, that we have, I think we have some answers on, but as we were talking about earlier, there's still some unknowns. So maybe that's something we, we kicked down the road to talk about the impact of the elections here recently and what that might change on the estate planning front. If that sounds good to you, we'll tackle that another day. I'd love to. Sure. That would okay. be great. There is Perfect. a little uncertainty. We thought we'd have a little bit of clarity on, I think, control of Congress, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, you know, how progressive an agenda gets pursued is dependent on a particular election on January 5th. Yep. Yep. Okay. Very good. Well, we've, we've covered a lot of ground again here today. It was very valuable, and thank you so much again for your insight. And I know you've helped a lot of our clients in getting their estate plans in order. Uh, how, again, would people reach out to if they wanted to, to get an estate plan in place and, or, or get theirs updated? Sure. Uh, best route would be to call us directly. We can be reached at 612-293-3840.
perfect. Again, uh, Matt with Orchard Law and uh, Matt McClenahan, and thank you again very much for joining us. And folks, you can also reach us as well at Paladin Financial. We encourage you to come in for a complimentary second opinion on your retirement plan, and we'll look at your pie. We talked about the Paladin Financial pie there at the beginning. Evaluate things with your financial plan, your estate plan, your taxes. Make sure everything is working there together. And uh, you can reach us at 877 877- 219-3199. Send us an email at info at financialpaladin.com. And you can check out our website at financialpaladin.com as well. And we wish everyone uh, safe and healthy holidays here. And uh, hopefully we'll be done with these darn masks here pretty soon. And uh, again, thank you very much, Matt, for, for joining us. Thanks for having me, Jeff. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Paladin Financial Talk. Don't pay too much for taxes or retire without a sound income plan. For more information, please contact Jeff Foley at Paladin Financial. Call 877-219-3199 or visit their website at financialpaladin.com. Advisory services offered through Paladin Wealth LLC, a Minnesota registered investment advisor. Paladin Wealth LLC offers advisory services under the DBA Paladin Financial and Paladin Wealth. Insurance products and services offered through Paladin Insurance LLC. Paladin Wealth LLC and Paladin Insurance LLC are affiliated companies. Jeff Foley and Paladin Financial are not affiliated with or endorsed by the Social Security Administration or any other government agency. All matters discussed during the show are for informational purposes only. Each individual situation may vary and the opinions expressed here may not apply to everyone. Materials presented are believed to be from reliable sources and no representations can be made as to its accuracy. All ideas and information should be discussed in detail with one of our qualified representatives prior to implementation.